if that's the sound of a fulfilled person, then you're right. That's the sound I feel. My name is Greg, Greg Wegerly. Um, I've got the privilege of serving on this eldership team. I have the beautiful privilege of being husband to Taryn, um, who's probably got a hundred talents if, you, if you're counting. Um, father of four beautiful girls running around and dancing and doing their thing. But just a huge privilege to be here um, on such a, an amazing occasion. You know, it's, it's Easter time and it's Passover and it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You know, and we've got our communion tables here this evening, the Eucharist as it's called, and Eucharist is just a Greek word meaning gratefulness, giving thanks. And I want to just unpack a little bit around the thankful, thankful Lord's table. So if there was a, a title to my sermon tonight, it would really be the thankful, thankful Lord's table. And I'd love us to turn in our Bibles, please. This word Eucharist comes from a number of different passages, but it's really linked to the first time when Jesus broke bread with his disciples. On this night, 2,000 and something years ago. So Good Friday was on its way the next day. Sunday was on its way in the few days later. But here we are on Thursday evening. All right, so let's go to Luke chapter 22. This occurrence is spoken of in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it's also referred to in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to look at the Luke 22. Is this coming and going? Do I need to adjust it? It sounds like it's in and out. It's fine. Okay. Do your thing, Mark. All right. In Luke chapter 22, verse 14... It says this, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, before we move on, Jesus is referring to the Passover and Passover um, is the feast of unleavened bread that commemorates the, the time when the Lord delivered the Israelites out of Egypt and the strategy was to get blood and to cover the doorposts and the lintels of your house. And God in Exodus 12, and we can actually go there now, he speaks to 
Moses and he says to Moses, this is, the, this is going to be the strategy to get you to get you freed from the captivity of Egypt and slavery. I, I think I'm going to go to a handheld. This is bothering me. One, two. Thank you. So in, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21 to 27 captures it really beautifully. And it says this. I think we do have it. There we go. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. <clears throat> and when the children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And it's this Passover that Jesus is referring to. This Passover meal, I've been longing to have it. And for the, for the Jews, it was a normal statute. It was a normal service. It was a normal annual thing. In fact, it marked the, the beginning of their year. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover, it actually this year I think started a few days ago because it changes every year. And it lasts 14 days and there's a whole process and that there's unleavened bread. And the whole idea of unleavened bread um, was purifying ourselves, getting rid of anything that is, you know, got, got yeast and got this leaven in it. And it's this idea of sacrificing ourselves or, or consecrating ourselves and being holy before the Lord. And this is a statute, but it's a feast, you see? It's a celebration. And so what's it celebrating? Because sometimes we don't really even know, like what is this feast of unleavened bread and all that? But the Jews know exactly what it means because it's pointing to, or back to, let's say, pointing back to, let's go this way, on the timeline of history, it's pointing back to the Passover. And in that text, it says, get that blood. So you're going to slaughter the lamb and could be, a, could be a, um, a lamb of a sheep or a lamb of a goat and take it and imagine a doorpost over here, right? Lintel up top, doorposts on the sides. And what are you going to do? There's a basin, there's a bucket. You've got your hyssop thing and you're going to dip it and you're going to put it on the doorposts, right? And you're going to put it on... The lintel. Okay, and you're going to dip it and you're going to put it on the lintel and the doorposts. And they've been doing this for centuries. Do you see what God's already started to prepare in advance? 
And so without even knowing it, they're being a prophetic act of this meal where Jesus is with his disciples. He says, oh, I couldn't wait to have this meal with you. They're not sure really even what he's talking about yet. He knows what's coming tomorrow. They don't. They know he's going to suffer. They know that there's big things happening, but they don't know the fullness of it. And this is the context. And, and, and just before this, this text um, in, in Luke, it talks about where we're going to prepare it, and then God prepares an upper room for them, and they go and they prepare it. Now, what that means is they would have got their unleavened bread, and they would have prepared everything. And at this table, what we see here in Luke 22 we're going to carry on now because I talked about Passover, right? So when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Man, the patience of Jesus. You know, Jesus was at the foundation of the earth. In the beginning, he is. Okay? He's earnestly desired. He's looked forward to this moment. This Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Thank you, darling. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, Eucharist, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Sure, that's patient. If you think about it, if we take him literally, he's not going to drink of that wine until the kingdom comes. So he's been longing for this moment for how long? And now he's saying, I'm not going to partake of it until I come back. So that's another 2,000 whatever years since then up till now, and we don't know when it's going to be consummated. Last, last week, Taryn preached brilliantly around this idea that we're in this sinful age. Jesus was inserted into it, and there is the kingdom to come, which liberates and frees us. And we're in this space. Man, he is, he is very patient. Jesus is in the long game, friends. Uh, all too often we want things instant and we want things to happen straight away and we want, we just used to a very quick culture, we're used to like a McDonald's culture. I feel like a burger, I get a burger, I eat the burger. You know? Um, it's like we've, we've got this kind of, there's just, we're in an age where distraction and speed of life and technology is just hitting us all over the place. Friends, take a cue from Jesus it's okay, breathe. It's okay, be patient. It's okay to look at the ancient past and to look at the ancient future and everything in between. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks, Eucharist. That's why it's the thankful, thankful because he did it twice. It's quite curious to me. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup 
after they had been eating, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Now this is an incredibly huge pivotal moment in history. And now they understood the old covenant. They understood the law of Moses. They understood that the sacrifice. You see, after coming out of Egypt, not only did they have to celebrate and remember the Passover with the slaughtered lamb, Lufefa was referring to all the, the Levitical laws, all the processes and procedures, all the detailed, very specific. And I have to admit, sometimes, like, why is that and not this? And why this and not that? And why can they do something but they can't? And why can we only do it there and not? And just the meticulous, detailed processes that they had to go through in order to be able to be cleansed from God, cleansed from their sin before God. And it's a different preach altogether, but this whole idea of the sacrifices that need to, needed to be done, and by the way, this is a preach for tomorrow. This is a Friday preach, okay? Not a Thursday preach. This part of the preach is about Friday because what Friday was the culmination of the lamb on the cross. And so the whole idea is that they knew this was a pivotal moment. So they've seen it's Passover, we've got this meal, we see the bread, we see the blood, the wine, where's the lamb? And he says, here's the bread, here's the blood, I'm the lamb. This would have been revolutionary for them. And it's for this reason that they killed him, because this was blasphemous. If he was not God, this was blasphemous, because he was saying, I am the very atonement for your sin. I forgive you, I take away the sins of the world. So this is a huge thing. And I'd like us to go to one Corinthians eleven, which is the other account of this, and Paul is saying to the Corinthians one Corinthians eleven verse twenty three to twenty six. And it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, Eucharist, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the beauty that we have of communion, eating the Lord's 
bread, his body, drinking his cup, his blood, is that we're proclaiming the Lord's coming. We get to participate in what God is doing, what Jesus is doing, looking all the way back to what he had done in terms of creation, God's design and plan, in terms of the fall of man, that what sin did was separated man from God, separated, and yet his grace was to protect mankind from the wrath of eternal separation. Looking forward to Jesus, who would then fulfill the processes, procedures, and laws, and and technicalities of washing themselves and being righteous before God just so that they could not be killed by the Lord. That idea of being separated him from the curtain and that's a Friday sermon and then being able to look forward and proclaim his coming because it's not, it's not complete yet. Now, in the Friday sermon, he says it is finished on the cross. But he doesn't say, I'm finished. In other words, the work is complete. It is finished. It is done. The end is secure. The the work of the, the pure spotless lamb is complete in totality, in fullness. It is ratified. It is uncontestable. It is finished. But not I'm finished. And what, what happens is after he was raised and he ascended to heaven, he took his seat at the right hand of God and he, is, he becomes the, the, the judge bridegroom who will still return. But that's a Friday preach. See, because Thursday, they don't even really know necessarily what he's talking about. They're probably wondering you know, what's he talking about? Like this blood and the body and all that. And boy, did they re- really understand it the next day and in months and years and decades to come. And so what we have the privilege of doing this evening and whenever we do it is remembering, remembering the Passover, remembering that it was the gracious gift of the Lord that he would provide a way for man to still communicate, commune, and be a people separated and protected so that the promises that he had put in them through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the seed who was fulfilled in Jesus, you can read about this in Romans and Galatians, and by the way, that was put in by faith, because it was given Abraham by faith that he would be the father of and heir of many nations, not just one, and that his seed would bring the salvation and freedom of the world. By the way, that was before the law. So God in his wisdom saw through history, saw that for a time, because of sin, the law was given to, to make us aware of our separation from the Lord, to make us aware that God is in his holiness cannot abide, cannot be, cannot commune 
with sin. It's diametrically opposed to who he is. So he, he, he in his grace and mercy, created a way with, with the law. And he created a way by it freeing his people. Why? Because he could see that the pure spotless lamb was the, the pivotal message. And without those things, the pure spotless lamb's message would have not really meant much to the people. This moment where Jesus is saying, oh, I've, I've been longing for this, for this Passover with you. And when you do this, you're proclaiming that I'm coming back. What does proclaiming look like? Well, friends, it's difficult to proclaim quietly. It's difficult to proclaim on your own. See, proclaiming means communicating from me to another, from me to others. It may not have to be shouting, it could be, but it's proclaiming. And this message that we're proclaiming is, oh, man, in this moment where Jesus was, by the way, it says that on the night he was betrayed, you know, it's like, the people that are closest to you, the people that you've entrusted with your, your very life, your time, the people that you actually are going to serve and wash feet, the people that you're going to lay your life down for, betray you. Knowing this, he still shared his body and his blood with those very people around the room. And we're just like that. We would have been just like that. Ordinary people needing a savior. And so we get to proclaim, no matter what's going on in this world, knowing that tomorrow is very dark, knowing that it could be full of evil, knowing that it could even involve murder, knowing that it was a, a darkness that was descending on the earth, that there was a tussle in the heavenlies, that there was a spiritual battle happening, knowing that it was incredibly uncomfortable. It's in that position that we can proclaim. See, I believe that Jesus gave thanks twice, probably for other reasons as well. But one of them is he gave thanks for the suffering and he gave thanks for the return. He gave thanks for the fact that he could participate and be the pure spotless lamb and take on the sin of the world to fulfill all of the law and covenants. In fact, the new covenant by his blood actually spoke a better word. The new covenant by his blood actually goes far above and beyond any of the ritual sacrifices of the blood of the past in the old covenant. And so he gave thanks in the suffering, knowing this was not, not comfortable. In fact, when you look at scripture and you see the breaking of bread, it's usually in the midst of an enemy. And it's usually a very discomfort, discomforting place. It's usually there's a lot going on and it's a squeeze. And so sometimes I think we kind of take communion and it's a little bit like, you know, 
It's just something I do. Just grew up doing it. Sometimes we sort of just take it and we don't really realize, like, man, the body and the blood of Jesus. What it cost him. What it must have been like for him in that moment, this Thursday night, where he's giving them this emblem, this symbol, this beautiful, pivotal moment from the eternity past to the eternity future that we can get to remember. So when we remember, let's remember well. Let's remember properly. And so it's this idea of thankfulness for Lord where we are now, despite how difficult things, despite the betrayal of man, despite the, the evil that is onslaughting us, despite, you know, to the point of even droplets of blood, despite enduring the cross that is coming tomorrow, I'm thankful. I'm grateful I can worship you. And then also thankful that this is not the end. There's the end. You know, when they, when they got liberated out of Egypt, what an amazing miracle. The cross just not even knowing what they were doing. And God liberated them. And, it, you know, they could have been liberated and then Wow, we're liberated, but why? What for? No, it's for something. It's for a, a, a promised land. It's for a kingdom that's coming. It's, there's more. And it's okay to be patient. Sometimes it takes a generation. Sometimes it takes 40 years. It's good to be patient. And I know we're chomping at the bit, and God loves it when we're passionate. But let's remember we're part of a story that has been for a long time, and it will be for a long time. And it's an eternal story. So I'd like us to end with this idea. You know, it talks about the, the fact that the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than that of Abel. If you remember Cain and Abel, that story um, in Genesis 4, Genesis 4, it says, so in, he, in Hebrews 11, it says that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. So that's the context of Abel's blood speaks. It speaks of the injustice of his brother's murder of him. It speaks even though he's dead. And then in Hebrews 12, it says, You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so if we look in Genesis 4, 10, the Lord says, What have you done to Cain? What have you done? He says to Cain, listen. Your, blood, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Verse 10 to 11. It says, Now you are under a curse 
and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Curse. Now what does Jesus' blood speak? Better word. Blessing. Galatians 3.13. I'm going to go through these quickly. It's written, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The blood of Abel speaks curse. The blood of Jesus is the curse. He became the curse so that we can be blessed. Isn't that amazing? Because it's written, every curse is everyone who hung on a tree. What about verse 12? It's said of Cain, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on earth. So the blood of Cain speaks barrenness. It speaks poverty. It speaks want. It speaks restlessness. What about the blood of Jesus? 2 Corinthians 8. It's written, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So poverty becomes rich. That's a better word. What about verse 13? Cain says, he actually laments, my punishment is more than I can bear. So the blood of Abel is speaking punishment punishment but the blood of Jesus speaks forgiveness 1 John 1 7 but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sins if we claim to be without sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we confess our sins he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness isn't that amazing? Punishment to forgiveness. And in verse 14, Cain carries on. He says, today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. The blood of Abel speaks banishment. Banishment from God and from his people. But the blood of Jesus speaks access into grace. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So friends, I, I want us to get the bread and the wine and prepare to take communion together and it's through this lens that here we are in, in celebration of Passover, celebration of the freedom of God's people, the, the moment where Jesus says, I fulfill all of that and I proclaim what's to come. And in that we receive his blood that speaks that better word. Maybe you hear and you feel like you deserve punishment. Maybe you feel like you've been banished. You're far away.
Maybe you're here and you feel depleted and poor. And Jesus says, my blood speaks a better word. And you know what? It was for you. So we'll facilitate that. Please, will you get the emblems, um, bread and wine, and then I'll take us through the final piece of scripture as we just enjoy communion together. And the band, if you can, please come up.